for today, though, we want to chase our theme, okay? If you're not familiar with how we operate here, most of the time we have a theme that starts on a Saturday. You've got a little devotion guide that starts on Saturday. Sunday in our morning Bible studies, we address the theme. We've tried to sing around a theme a little bit today, although this is kind of a harder theme to attack in song. Uh, but we've tried to do that some today and in our scripture reading, and we'll address it here this morning as well. See, if, you're not, if you don't know the theme, the theme is like, how do you deal with difficult people? There's not a whole lot of Christian songs about that. You know, all kinds of secular songs about that. But not a whole lot of Christian songs about how, we, how do we treat people who mistreat us? How can we act in ways that are God-honoring towards them? And so I thought we'd kind of pursue this today, and I thought we're going to call the short trip to crazy. All right, the short trip to crazy. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be uh, looking today in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be there in the first six verses, but uh, we'll, we'll be there in just a few minutes. But I'd just like to ask you a question kind of as we get rolling here this morning as it relates to the text. So have you ever said of somebody or said to somebody, you are driving me crazy? <laughs> All right. Has someone ever said that to you? Yeah. <laughs> it's typically how it works, right? Uh, so, and for most of us, it's a short trip. Right? It's not a long time getting there, right? So I've just had about all I can stand. It's kind of that Popeye moment. I can't stand no more and you just want to explode on somebody. You are driving me crazy. So I'm sure everybody has felt that way or heard that said or you've said it before. So what are some of the qualities that drive us crazy? And you cannot answer, okay? <laughs> I don't want to get anybody in trouble today. So I'm going to put some of these in your mind and if, if you agree with it, whatever. If you don't, that's fine as well. But there's, uh, there's some qualities, personal qualities, things like this. One's called having the Sherman tank quality. The Sherman tank quality is when somebody will run over you if you'll let them. Have you ever had that kind of relationship? Bullied a little bit, kind of, you know, oppressive. I'll, I'll bully you over if that's what's necessary. That's the Sherman tank quality. And sometimes that's driving us crazy. What about the megaphone quality? The megaphone quality is the person who will talk your ear off. Now that's the person you set the phone on the counter and you're just, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. I don't know what you're saying 20 minutes later, but okay. Now I don't do that, but there are people who do. Never done that. I can remember in college, are you awake? Wake up, I'm talking to you. All right. Uh, but so this is the person that will just talk your leg off. Or this is the person that talks really loud. You know, some people just have a different volume control than other people have. Some of us don't have the same way of projecting as other people. And so they, it feels like they're always yelling at you. And you're just like, can you talk quieter? You're so loud. You're driving me crazy. Maybe you've got that sort of quality in your life or somebody else you know. There's the bubble buster quality that drives us on this short trip to crazy. And this is the person that deflates everybody's enthusiasm. Ever had that person? I think I am that person. <laughs> Sometimes. Everybody's excited about something and something's going along and I'm the guy that comes in and says, hey, yeah, but what if? Uh, oh, what if? Forget what if. Why don't you dream a little bit? I was out with a buddy the other day in the woods, Paul, and he was just dreaming about all the stuff he wanted to set up on this property. And I said, Paul, man, this is a lot of money. He said, no, we're not talking money right now. We're just dreaming, all right? So just dream with me. So I tend to have the nature of being a realist, and that just tends to be a deflator, unfortunately. Some people have the personal quality of being a volcano. 
like Mount St. Helens, it doesn't take long for them to erupt. So anybody that way? Quick-tempered? Just like that? All right, sometimes that drives us crazy. You know, it's like, can't you just be a little patient with me? No, I can't. Should have had it to figure it out already. Maybe you're like a volcano or know somebody is. There's the crybaby. The crybaby is a chronic complainer. So it's always wrong, never works out. It's just the Eeyore disorder is what I call it. You know, it's just the, oh, it's always raining. It's, glass is always half full. Just always bad. It's never going to work out well. I don't know why we're doing this. Why we keep trying. It's just crazy. Right? Maybe you know somebody who has the crybaby syndrome. What about the nitpicker? The nitpicker is this perfectionist who always points out all the little things and how it's wrong. And if this was this way, then it would be better. You know, I don't need you to tell me it would be better. I just need you to go, hey, that's fine. You know, sometimes we just don't need to be clued in on everything that's wrong. And yet, I think I'm a nitpicker too. Right? I'm glad we're not uh, agreeing or disagreeing, although your laughter concerns me a little bit. It's the unpleasable perfectionist. And then there's the space cadet. The space cadet is just the person who tends to be on a different wavelength. You know, yeah, you say something to them, and they're like, huh? You know, can you help me with this? I want an orange. You know, it's just like they're totally in a different place than you are. Right? So sometimes that happens. And so when you're around that very often, you feel like you're just being driven crazy. Like, I just can't tolerate this anymore. I can't stand this. I'm taking my short trip. Now, Lots of others we could talk about, but I think you get the point. These kind of qualities have a way of getting us to crazy town in a hurry if we will let them. Now, when we make this comment, you're driving me crazy, what is it that we're really saying? Somebody help me out. You're driving me crazy means... So that, the polite way of saying you're driving me crazy, that's the polite way to say shut up, I guess is what you're saying, okay? Somebody else, you're driving me crazy. When you say that, you mean... It really means you're there, huh? So insanity is coming. You're getting on my nerves. Okay? I've had enough, or that's enough. Something like that. Drop it. We're not on the same page, okay? Isn't it funny? We've got all these little cliches, and, you know, if people weren't around American culture very long, they'd walk in and go, what are you talking about? Like, we're talking about God, and you're talking about taking a short trip to crazy. I can't see how these two things connect. Hopefully we can make the connection here this morning. So, yeah, it's all these kind of things. You're frustrating me. You're annoying me. I've just had enough. You know, we just need to stop this. We need a little bit of time apart. You know, I read a little quote this week that says, I want to be a stay-home mom that doesn't have any kids. So maybe you felt like that before. I just want to be... I need to go to crazy town all by myself. All right? I need to see or hear less of you. Now, that sounds pretty accurate, but let's talk biblically speaking... Does your driving me crazy sound biblically accurate? You're like, oh, pastor, come on, get all spiritual on us. We're having a good time here. And can you open up your Bible and say, all right, so in, you know, John told me that I could tell you I've had enough of you. You just need to be quiet or go away because you're driving me crazy. Can you find that somewhere? Yeah, there is one sense, and I never thought about this before. Uh, I was... Listening to Chip Ingram. I don't know if any of you listen to Chip Ingram. Periodically I'll catch uh, him. He's a pastor. He's got a program called uh, Living on the Edge. Bot Radio Network. He's written a book called Living on the Edge. And so he was talking about how 
Jesus was pretty good at driving people crazy. And I never really thought about that before. But here, listen to this for a minute. And you can start to understand where the Pharisees are coming from. Now, it wasn't Jesus' intention to be driving them crazy. It's just what happened because of their own, uh, their own wrong worldview of how things were supposed to be. So think about this for a minute. Uh, Jesus loved Gentiles. Who did the Jews hate? Gentiles. Jesus loved the Samaritans. The Jews, they really hated the Samaritans. Jesus treated women with respect. But the Jews kind of treated them as a little less than. Jesus treated slaves with equality. Everybody's the same. And yet Jews treated slaves as property. Jesus loved the lepers. Those who were diseased. And the Pharisees didn't even want to see somebody who was diseased, right? It's just one of these things that makes them want to vomit. You know, Jesus went to eat at a, uh, at a sinner's house. He called a tax collector to follow him. He forgave the sins of a prostitute. I mean, can you see how the Pharisees in their mind can begin to think, you're driving us crazy. We've got to do something with this Jesus guy. I mean, I could just, it makes sense that they plotted to crucify him. It makes sense that they tested him. Right? It makes sense that they set up traps for him because they just couldn't handle it. He was, in a term, taking them on the short trip to crazy. And so is it biblical? Yeah, and that may be context, but it's not biblical in how we approach people who are difficult. And so today we're looking at how can I manage relationships with people where at times we rub one another the wrong way. You ever been rubbed wrong? We can accommodate if you've never been rubbed wrong here this morning. <laughs> now, we all have. And the truth of the matter is, we've all rubbed somebody wrong. And I don't know why it works this way, but it does. We all have people who think we're the greatest thing on the planet. And we don't have to go very far to find people who wish we didn't exist on the planet. Right? And we try to be the same to all people. And with some we jive and with some we don't. With some we just really mesh. And with others it's like, you're driving me crazy. And so how do we work in this kind of relationship? You know, in a family, you're going to find yourself often rubbing one another the wrong way. And that's true in any family. It could be a school family, church family, your at-home family, uh, work. Yeah, we're going to rub one another the wrong way. So how do we manage those situations? How do we do this and still be pleasing and honoring to God rather than going for our short trip? All right, well, Paul's going to give us some insights here in Ephesians. So if you've got your Bible, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're just going to read the first six verses here. But he's talking about how to maintain the unity of the church. How to maintain the unity of believers. But I think this can really even stretch beyond the church to how we treat anybody who rubs us the wrong way. So we'll apply it to the church. But we're also going to apply this to people, anyone that we come into contact with. Alright, so Ephesians 4. Uh, and we're going to go the, the first six verses here. So you can follow along in your bulletin or you can follow along uh, on the wall there this morning as well. Okay? So Paul says, I, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Alright, so here it is this morning. I want to look into these verses and primarily we'll be in verse 1, 2, and 3. And we'll tie in those later three uh, in our last point here this morning. But if you're following along in your bulletin, you don't have to, but you can. Uh, we'll note a few things as we progress. As we try to battle for relationships, healthy relationships. All right. So for you and I to avoid the short trip to crazy, three things we'll note today. And one of those is this. We need to remember initially the calling that we've received. Remember the calling that we have received. And so let's talk for a minute. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. Do you know where Paul is when he wrote this letter? Okay, so he's in jail. He's in some sort of dungeon or prison. That is his current existence. And he has done nothing wrong, and yet he's being held. So if we found ourselves in Paul's situation, and we had one phone call to make, what would the content of that conversation be like? I've done nothing wrong. I'm in prison. I get one call. And so I'm going to dial somebody, and that's what I'm going to say to them, right? That's what I'm saying. Hey, I've been falsely accused, falsely arrested. I've done nothing wrong. You need to go get a lawyer to get me out of this place. I can't stay here any longer, All right? I would be urgent about you getting me out. Now, what is Paul's response here? He's in prison, done nothing wrong, same kind of situation. Well, let's read it here. Back in verse 1, here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, does Paul sound like somebody who's imprisoned? No, I mean, if I had done something wrong and I'm in prison, I get it. That's justice. I'm getting what I deserve. But I've done nothing wrong and I'm there. I'm going to be focused on Corey. And you don't sense that at all when you listen to Paul, when we read Paul here. His whole interest is in these Ephesian people. And he is beseeching them is what the New King James says, or he is urging them, is what the NIV says, to remember their calling. He doesn't sound like somebody who is on the road to crazy. Uh, and so here we've got Paul, though, as somebody who understands some things. And one is this. He understands that he is a recipient of grace, and that's why he's not losing his mind. He understands that this is part of the territory. So as somebody who's received grace... And you try to share that with other people, that doesn't often go well. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And in Paul's context, it went horribly wrong for him. They didn't want to hear about Jesus who was crucified and buried and resurrected. They didn't want anything. They thought they had took care of that problem. And now we're perpetuating this message of Jesus. And so they're just kind of on the road to crazy with Paul here. And so Paul understood one thing was that he had this amazing grace that he had received. But he also understood that with great privilege comes great responsibility. With great privilege comes great responsibility. And so he didn't sit in a prison cell, moan and whine about his own condition. He continued to live under the calling that he had been given. That word calling can also be interpreted invitation. So you've been invited by the gospel to become family with God. You've been invited by the gospel to have your sins forgiven. You've been invited by the gospel to be a recipient of grace, but you've also been commissioned by this same gospel to live responsibly with grace. And so it means we're distributing it. And that's what landed Paul in his current context. 
And so often we're rejected, often there's opposition, often we're misinterpreted or misunderstood. And yet Paul understood these things here with great privilege and he loved his grace. Comes great responsibility. Listen, under this calling, wasn't it Paul who wrote that said, the old has gone and what has come? The new. And so the old me is no longer around. I'm this recipient of grace. I have been saved and now I'm part of the family of God. So to avoid the short trip to crazy, I need to remember my calling, this calling of grace, that it's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility, right? So I need to deal graciously with people who won't deal graciously with me in return. That's just how it works, right? Back in Luke, Jesus talked and said, I believe it's Luke 6, he said, um, bless those who curse you, love those who hate you, you know, pray for your enemies, do good to those who seek your harm. All right? And so this is the way that it's to be lived out. And so this is what I'm talking about. When we need to remember the calling we've received, remember that we are to be distributors of the same grace we've received. And that's going to come with all these sorts of opposition or misinterpretation or being misunderstood. Take the great privilege. Anybody thankful for grace? We're so thankful for grace, but also take with it the great responsibility. It may get you in a dungeon. And that could be literal in our context, in our day and time. All right? It may get you sidelined. You may not get the promotion. It may cost you a friend. It may cost you a raise. It may cost you a job. Right? We've got all sorts of businesses in this country within the last year that have closed simply because people said, I'm a Christian. And they were going to run their business based on what they believed was morally right, biblically right. And they're no longer running that same establishment. So to avoid this short trip, we've got to remember we've been called by grace. Yes, amazing grace. I'm thankful, but I also have to live it out and expect what comes as a result. So if difficult people is part of the work, all right, bring it on. And I guess that's how it's supposed to be. And so Paul's going to remain calm, and that's how he could do so. He understood it's not just my privilege, it's my responsibility. Remember the calling that we have received here. All right, let's go secondly here this morning. We'll spend a little more time here. To avoid the short trip to crazy, we need to live under the influence of the gospel. Live under the influence of the gospel. And so every day, right now, you are under the influence of something. So you're under the influence of the word of God. You're under the influence of what you're hearing me speak. Uh, you're under the influence of you know, whatever device or gadgets in your hand. We are all living under the influence of something. It always happens that way. We're never at a point where we're never being influenced. Hey, have you guys, have you heard the expression garbage in, garbage out? You ever heard that before? If you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. You guys heard that? And so that's how it works, right? There's no getting around it. So you put trash in your mind and it's going to come out. You put trash in your body and you're going to have a poor body. It's not going to function. It's just the reality of things. Wouldn't it be great? Man, I got a red velvet cake on the way this week. Wouldn't it be great if I could eat a red velvet cake every week and it just nourish me? I mean, give me the fuel that I... Wouldn't that be awesome? Or you put your cake in, or you put your favorite dessert, or your favorite food. Wouldn't it be great if we could eat terribly and have all the fuel we needed for a healthy body? It doesn't work that way, right? And we all know that, unfortunately. And so we've got to remember if we put garbage in, we get garbage out. You know, I remember a story that I've told in, in school before. Um, I was a senior in high school, and I was playing basketball in the front yard with some of my friends. 
And uh, my mom got in my car to go pick up my younger brother from basketball practice. And so she goes to get him. And when she comes back home, she gets out of the car and she's just sobbing. What is going on? And she said, Corey Thomas in the house. You know what that means, right? I am busted. But I didn't know what for. So I get in the house and she can't hardly speak. And she said, I was listening to the... We had these things that used to be called cassette tapes, girls, people, okay? And that was in my car. And she said, I couldn't believe the filth that was coming out of that radio. That you have broken my heart. You have disappointed me, son. I am just broken. And so I was asking her what it was. And I couldn't begin to tell you what it was here. To, I could tell you. Just nothing but cuss word after cuss word after cuss word for about seven minutes. Over and over to a big bass line. So I listened to it for the bass. I wanted the car that made a lot of noise. It would kind of bump down the road. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, Corey's coming. And so that's what I wanted. What I didn't realize was that those words were just getting soaked into my mind. All right? It was garbage in. And so when I'd get out on a basketball court and somebody would shove me down, what am I thinking? I'm thinking trash. You're absolutely right. I'm thinking garbage thoughts. And sometimes garbage comes out. It's just the way that it works. When you put filth in, you get filth out. You know, people have addictions to things on the internet and computer that are not healthy for how they view other people. And so they think, I can have my secret addiction, but still look at people in God-honoring ways. That's foolishness. We've been built that whatever you put in will come out. It's just the way that we're made. So we're all under the influence of something. Here Paul's going to stress to us, why don't we live under the influence of the gospel? Let's live under the influence of the gospel. And so here's a few things that he's going to highlight for us as it relates to us living under the influence of the gospel. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, it stands to reason to me, if, if I'm trying to avoid crazy... Wouldn't it just be best if I stayed away from crazy? And I'm not saying, you know, make sure that you surround yourself with crazy people who drive you insane. I'm just saying, that seems to make sense. If I need to avoid what's going to drive me to crazy, I just need to stay away from it. Okay? So let's put that in general terms. People drive people crazy. Okay? So if you're going to avoid people, does that sound biblical? I'm going to be a loner. I'm going to stay in my house, associate with nobody have nothing to do with you just so I don't go to crazy town. No, there's nothing about that that sounds biblical whatsoever. And truthfully, there's times where I drive myself crazy. You ever do that? I mean, for whatever reason, I can't get away from myself. Everywhere I go, I'm there. I'm like my own stalker. It just drives me insane. Sometimes I just think, why are you acting that way? Why are you thinking that way? Why couldn't you have seen that five minutes ago? Now, there was a time when I was remodeling our bathroom and couldn't figure out how to put this piece together. And I sat there for an hour on a stool just like looking at this pipe. Like, how can I make this fit? It doesn't connect. And it finally clicked with me. You've got to turn it upside down. I mean, you guys would have walked in and just said, hey, Corey, just flip it upside down. I mean, 30 seconds, we'd have been over. And I sat there. And so when I finally figured it out, I was like, you know, you're driving me crazy. Like, how can you not see that? Sometimes... We are our own short trip to crazy. 
And so if I'm supposed to avoid crazy, I can't avoid me. Now I can, everywhere I go, I'm there, right? I, the only place, I, even in death, when I die, I'm there. It's just the way it's going to be. And so avoiding it is not the right answer. Avoiding it is not God's answer for you and I as we're trying to battle this healthy relationship with people who tend to drive us crazy. And so what is the right answer? Well, Paul's going to give us a few steps here. And one of those he says is this. Let's be completely humble. All right? And he puts this modifier in front of the word humble. Just in case we weren't sure what it looked like to be humble. Make sure you're completely humble. Some of your translations just have the word all. With all humility. All humility towards one another. And so how I should be towards every person, I should treat you with humility. You should treat me with humility. That's our approach to everybody, whether we get along with them or not. Whether we have the same doctrine as them or not. Whether we have the same worldview as them or not. Our approach to every person on the planet is complete humility. Are you there? I'm not there either, but this is what the call of the gospel is. Live under complete humility with one another. Let's read it kind of uh, in a, a verse here out of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Okay? So who is a bigger priority in the context of this verse? Me or others. It's others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others or look at their interests above our own. And so humility always values other people above ourselves. It's not selfishly motivated. It's not about what do I get in return. It's not about as long as I get mine, then I'm okay with you getting yours. Humility always looks to the other person first. And when Jesus walked the planet, that's how he walked, in humility. He humbled himself. Remember the same passage in Philippians. Philippians 2 talks about he humbled himself and he took on the form of a person. And he was obedient. He was obedient to the point of death so that he could serve people like you and I. So in dealing with people who drive us crazy, we've got to exercise humility. Typically what I want to exercise, though, is pride. I want to exercise pride. Like sometimes I look at people and prejudge them and think, I, don't, I wouldn't say I think this, but my actions prove it. I think I'm a little bit better than you. I think I'm a little bit more mature than you. I think I'm a little bit more spiritual than you, and therefore I have the ability or the right not to humble myself and serve you. And in a real short word, what is that? It starts with an S, ends with N. It's sin. When I consider myself better than somebody else. And so here, the gospel makes it clear. We are to live out complete humility as it relates to other people. You know, in all these things, what Paul is trying to teach us is this. Difficult people really are for our good. And I'm a difficult person for some people, and they are for my good. And I'm for their good. How would I ever practice complete humility if I never had to really exercise complete humility to somebody that I didn't really like? To somebody that I rubbed the wrong way or they rubbed me the wrong way? I wouldn't know that I was actually completely humble. And so they're good for my sanctification. They're good for my growth. They make me pray. 
They make me really seek to live out this truth. Live out my faith. You think people irritated Jesus? And you think everywhere he went he was just enamored with people? I mean, he loved us. I think there's moments where he looks at us and he's just like, man, what are you thinking? He talked about Israel. You know, these little chicks. I just, I would love to draw you to myself. You're not willing. You've got a rebellious heart. Like he was just frustrated, broken, even still in compassion. And so these kind of things, people, difficulties, are for our good. And it's good to stay there. You know, sometimes I think, just get me out of this. Or get me out or get them out. What takes more work of the Holy Spirit? Me to totally avoid them or me to interact with them and to exercise humility? It takes the second. Okay? Now, I'm not saying we should surround ourselves with everybody who hates us so we can become more Christ-like. I'm just saying we shouldn't avoid those people because they could be there for your benefit, there for my growth. And so one way he says, show them complete humility. All right, a second way here he's going to talk about is in the area of gentleness. And some translations use the word meekness. So meekness or gentleness, it's power under control. Power under control. And usually the uh, descriptive phrase that goes along with that is a wild stallion, a wild horse. Okay? So an unbroken wild horse is very powerful but is extremely uncontrollable. Right? That is not gentleness or that is not meekness. That's the opposite of that. So gentleness then would be to have all that power and yet be controllable. You know, self-controlled, living, disciplined, under the influence of the gospel, I will treat you with gentleness. I have the ability to explode. You're driving me crazy. And yet I will treat you with gentleness. I will treat you with compassion. And so we all have the ability to either be wildly uncontrollable in our mouth towards people who drive us crazy, or we also have through the Spirit this ability to be gentle. Right? Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Right? It's one of those attributes of people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, hey, if you want to Live in this world without avoiding people, it's going to be hard. But treat everybody, complete humility, and also with gentleness. And then he's going to talk to us here about patience. Here we go. Anybody have patience? All right, sometimes, and what we'll say is this, depends on the, the situation or the person. Okay? Now, is that biblically accurate? My patience should have nothing to do with you whatsoever. Your patience should have absolutely nothing to do with how I treat you at all. Because my patience isn't built on you. You give me the opportunity to test it, and I give you the opportunity to test and see if you have it. But where does patience come from? Again, God, it's this fruit of the Spirit. It's just one of these ways that the Spirit works in us. And so it's one of those ways that I can see when you're driving me crazy and yet I'm just listening and I'm just letting you vent. I'm letting let you go on and on and on and on. Uh, it doesn't mean there's no boundary. It doesn't mean people walk all over us. We set godly boundaries. 
But yet we exercise this patience where I'm willing just to hang in there. Here's some terms that kind of help us identify with what it means to be patient. It means to bear with. It means we hang in there. We tolerate. We look beyond. We endure. All right? Why do we do this? We do this because there's been someone who's been extremely patient with us. What's his name? His name is Jesus. And he's our perfect model. And what the gospel calls us to do is to imitate or emulate him in every relationship. See, when we said yes to Jesus, it wasn't just save me and thank you for the privilege. We said yes, and now I'm going to live out my responsibility. Part of my responsibility is to live as an imitator of Christ. And he was humble. He was gentle. He was and is patient. So it's not an option for the believer to say, I'm going to live under some other influence. We need to be striving to live under the influence of the gospel. And so we're to model his patience. He goes on to say, Paul does in that verse, that we are to do this as a demonstration of love. We're to do this as a demonstration of love. So loving difficult people, make sure you get this, loving difficult people is one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus. Loving difficult people is one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus. Not avoiding them. Not talking bad about them behind their back. All right? Not just like, you know, they're crazy. But genuinely loving this person. And even more than that, when we love difficult people, we demonstrate that we have a depth of love for God. When I love people who are difficult for me to love, it demonstrates that I have a love for God. Right? You remember the two greatest commandments? There's an order to them. The first one says, love whom with all you've got? We're going to love God with all we've got, so in turn we can love ourselves and others. Right? And so if I am to love others with the love of God, I've got to know the love of God. But for me to really love you, ultimately it's because I love God first. And so I'll love difficult people because God loves me and because I love Him. And I'll spend the time to invest there. It's a demonstration of the depth of my love when I love, when I'm completely humble and patient and gentle with difficult people. And so what do we need? We need the influence of the gospel. You know, when I get under the influence of Corey, it gets ugly. Does it get ugly for you? We can shoot off at the mouth. I mean, we can tell somebody what for in a minute. You cut me off, I'll cut you off. And then I'm going to pull you over and I'm going to tell you why I'm about to pound you to the ground. That doesn't sound like I'm under the influence of the gospel. Right? So we're not perfect at this. And thankfully, God is merciful and he's patient. He's got grace upon grace for where we just sin. We don't strive for sin. We strive for perfection. But he's willing to help us get there. All right, and then third and last here this morning quickly. To avoid the short trip to crazy, we need to strive for peace by magnifying what unites. You know, when I'm dealing with people who are difficult, I've learned to pray. And I've learned to pray and say, God, just grant me wisdom here. How should I respond? How should I act in this situation? Because maybe I'm super busy. Maybe I've got some place to go and my phone just rang or somebody just stopped here and I've got to be there in 15 minutes and I've got 14 minutes to get there. You know, sometimes we're just in those types of 
moments. And so I've learned to pray. Wisdom in these times says I'll focus on what unites us rather than on what annoys us. And so I'm going to focus on what unites you and I together rather than what makes me annoyed with that person. Let's look at this from the text. Paul's trying to make this clear again. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How many bodies are there? There's one body. And there's one Spirit. And you're called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so here he's trying to get these people, these Ephesians, to focus on the things that unite them. Magnify what unites you rather than magnifying what annoys you. The tendency, the natural tendency, is to magnify what annoys us. And you know what we really like to do? We like to find somebody else who is just as annoyed with us over that same thing. And for some reason, that kind of, that soothes us. This person was wrong to me. Oh yeah, they were wrong to me too. Really? What'd they say to you? Oh, you know what they did to me? And it's like we buddy up because we can't stand you. And what we're doing is magnifying what annoys us rather than trying to magnify what unites us. And here specifically, this is for the church. I mean, there's not a one connection with people that don't believe, but for those who do believe, there is a oneness connection. We're all rooted together. Right? It's all the same spirit. It's under the same God. It's the same faith. It's the same baptism. That's what unites us. And so I've got to be willing to try to magnify that even when I want to magnify the thing that is annoying me. I'm going to tell you something you already know, but sometimes we need to hear it again. Everybody in this room is different. We have different tastes. We have different preferences. We have different opinions. Right? I think strawberry ice cream is the best ice cream on the planet. Anybody else? I see one or two. Okay, who says chocolate? All right, who says vanilla? All right, and then you guys are in all these wacky colors and flavors and all that stuff, right? I like butter pecan too. Hey, we can have our opinion, right? I can have my preference. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you and I being different. Matter of fact, those are good things. Because often you help me see things from a different perspective if I'm willing to see it. So rather than get annoyed that you think chocolate's better than strawberry, you're crazy. Now I've got a cousin who can't stand strawberries. And I thought, how, how do you even breathe? Like, that seems you've got to have those to exist. We're different. And it's okay. And rather getting annoyed at one another's differences, we just need to look at it as that's their preference, that's their opinion. You know, in this room, we've got probably, I don't know, I would just guess, maybe five or six different translations of the Bible. Now, there are people on this planet, in this country, who'd say either you have this translation, and this is the godly one, or every other one means you're leading people to hell. You're a heretic. And we don't believe that. We just believe there's different ways to interpret. All right? Different language, more modern language, or a different way of phrasing. Some are phrase for phrase, sentence for sentence. Some are word for word or thought for thought. There's different ways of doing it. Okay? And so we've got a preference there. And we can talk about, uh, you can talk about music. 
We've got a preference and opinion. We've got taste flavors that we like when it comes to music, whether it's in this room or in our car driving down the road or what we listen to in our house. There's things that we like. It's okay for you to have your preference. It's okay for us to have our opinions. We've just got to remember that we're all different. And rather focusing on the differences, rather than just huddling up, all right, all strawberry lovers over here, we should be open to everybody. All right? I don't care what your flavor is. You're welcome here. Right? I don't care what your flavor in music is. You're welcome here. I don't care if you believe there's no God. You're welcome here. Now, I don't care if you believe that you are different than the way God made you to be. You're welcome here. Because what do you need? You need truth. You need Jesus. So we don't want to shelter ourselves from people who need the very thing that can help change them to break those chains. You're welcome here. So yeah, we have differences, and it's okay. I just can't get hung up there and treat my preference as though it is biblical truth. So let's magnify biblical truth. All right? There's that little phrase that says, you know, in the essentials, let there be unity. In the non-essentials, let there be liberty. And for everything else, let there be charity. Above all things, dress yourself with this garment of love. So strive for peace. Strive for peace. The only way that will happen is by focusing on what unites us rather than what divides us. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So this morning we've just talked about some ways that in relationships we have difficulties. And that's part of being on this planet. And we've got to prepare ourselves for it. Right? A lot of this you've probably heard before. Much of what we do in church is just reminding ourselves, rehearsing in our ears over and over again the gospel. I want to be under the influence of the gospel. I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that when I'm difficult with people or when people are difficult with me, I know how to react in a God-honoring way. I don't want to be the divisive or the divider. I don't want to be, you know, the person who blows up everybody's dreams or I don't want to be the nitpicker. I want to be the person who doesn't drive people crazy. The person that's compassionate, who's broken, who's humble, who's gentle, who's patient, just like we've been called and filled to be. So this will be a battle, and you know this. So for us to battle well, we need to follow the rule book here. We need to follow the guidelines. We need to follow what God has laid out here for us so that we can finish this thing well. And so remember your calling. Amazing grace has changed me, but amazing grace is to flow through me to be extended to other people who need grace, whether they like me or not. They believe in Allah. They believe in Muhammad. They don't believe in God. They believe that Clinton makes a good president. They believe Trump makes a good president. They believe we'd be better off without a president. Right? It doesn't matter. I want to live under the influence of the gospel with all humility, all gentleness, all patience, always bearing with people in love. And I'm always wanting to strive for peace and the only way that happens is when I magnify what connects us rather than focusing on what annoys us.